Amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, we're so happy we're here. You're here. Um, I'm honored to be up here. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Joe. Um, I'm super blessed for this opportunity this morning. Um, if you've been journeying with us or if you haven't, we're going through a sermon series called This is the Gospel through the book of Mark, and we're going to still be in there in uh, Mark chapter 5. And uh, this is a pretty cool story. It's actually like a, a story within a story. And I say story, I believe that this actually happened. But uh, I, with the Bible, you get a couple things, right? You get some teachings of Jesus. You get uh, in some of the epistles, like the teachings of, of uh, the, the apostles. And then you get stories that Jesus actually did. And so in us, we have to look contextually, all right, what was going on when it happened? And then what are some things that we can get out of it to live our daily life? And uh, in this story, I, I think it shows us some awesome lessons of great faith and uh, how we can apply that. So the title of this sermon is called, It Comes Down to Faith. I realize a lot of things in our life comes down to faith, right? Faith is at the root of most of our decisions, our actions, our thought processes, and ultimately our obedience to the Lord, right? If you don't have the root right, um, it can just be exhausting and we can be spinning our wheels, um, a practical example I've been dealing with for over the past couple years, um, I, I bought a house about two years and some change ago, and um, quickly found out that the window well in our basement leaks. It's, uh, it's an egress window, our basement's finished, find out that this thing leaks, right? So right away, I know, I got to add a sump, pump, a, a sump pit in, get the water into there, and then get it out. Well, instead of just getting at the root of it, I've been perfecting this system for the last two years that has left me... Many sleepless nights that has, uh, ha has had me working on this crazy concoction. And so right now what I have is I have a camera that we use to watch our kids when they play outside. It sits in the window well and it stares down at it. And then I have a five-gallon bucket I bought from Home Depot. I drilled a bunch of holes in it and I sunk that down into the rocks. And then I put a submersible pump in there uh, with a hose that goes out to the backyard. The, I have an extension cord that runs to an exterior outlet that's Wi-Fi activated that I can get on my phone that sets up schedules on my phone and I have it, I know when it rains and I have to monitor it and say, okay, it's gonna start around 10 at night and it's gonna finish around three and then I have every minute, it runs for a minute every 15 minutes because you gotta be real careful, right? If I run it without any water in there, then I can burn it out. I'm already on my second submersible pump. But if you don't get to the root of something, you end up spinning your wheels and it's exhausting. And I think sometimes we do that in our lives, right? Whether we're walking through tough times or, uh, you know, or, or just our daily life, we, we sometimes can develop systems and we can develop, uh, we, we can turn to these temporary satisfactions and we can seek emotional experiences and all these things just to keep us afloat on something that if we, could, if we were to find something at the root of that, um, we wouldn't be fighting the battles in our own strength. And so what I, what I got from this story is that it all comes down to faith. It comes down to faith in our walk with the Lord. Uh, so in Mark 5, we're, uh, we're gonna pick up at verse 21. And uh, says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians 
and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. The first point I want to look at is that faith requires humility. Faith is going to require some humility out of us, whether it's the first time we're coming to the Lord or even throughout our walk. Uh, in, in order to put our trust and faith in Jesus, it's going to require humility from us. And uh, humility is not negative self-talk, right? I think sometimes we think we're really humble when we're just good at bashing ourselves. That's not the case. Humility is recognizing where we stand positionally to Jesus and exalting him in the spot in our lives that he deserves, right? So right here in this story, we have two perspectives from the opposite side of the, uh, the, the social structure. So it says Jesus, all right, to, to, to paint some context, Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. So if you were with us the past few weeks, uh, Jesus was doing some teaching by the, on the Sea of Galilee um, in, in Capernaum, and he was doing teachings, and then he got in the boat to the disciples, and they went to the other side, right? That's when the storm came, and then, uh, you know, Jesus said, peace, be still, storm calms. They get to the other side um, in the country of the Gerasenes, which is the Decapolis, which is a Gentile uh, area. So he gets across the sea to the other side. Uh, that's last week when he heals the demoniac over there, and then they kick him out because they were scared to see this dude in his right mind, so they said, get away from here. So he goes back to the other side now, and he's met with a crowd, right? Uh, rightfully so, right? The man's doing a lot, and, and people want to see what's going on. So he gets to the other side, and a great crowd gathers about him. And then somebody comes through the crowd and falls at his feet. And this guy's name is Jairus. He's a ruler of the synagogue. Now, a ruler of the synagogue was more... Um, custodial, managerial by nature. They took care of the physical building of the synagogue. They would open it, close it, uh, make sure it was clean. They would arrange the, um, the, the services of the synagogue, make sure somebody was there uh, to, to open and close it. But no doubt they would know the Torah. No doubt they would be well-known by the, by the people in the area, by the, uh, you know, by, by the, by the Jewish community. Um, and, uh, for, for some context, uh, the only other time that Jesus has a run-in with a ruler of the synagogue is in Luke 13, and that's when Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath, and the ruler of the synagogue was indignant with Jesus and started basically trying to get everybody else against him, right? So the religious, the religious people of this time certainly didn't like Jesus because he was messing up their traditions. However, I don't think they could deny his fruit the fruit of his ministry. Because even in Luke 13, they say, he says, heal on one of the other days, just not the Sabbath, right? There's six days to do that. Why are you doing that on the seventh? So they weren't denying that he did something good. They were just denying the day that he did it. He was messing up their, uh, their traditions. But the humility aspect of this is Jairus would have a lot on the line, right? He would be well-known. He would be known by the Pharisees. And to put himself in such a controversial spot of falling at the feet of Jesus would have, been a fault, would have been putting a lot on the line. But he had a lot on the line. He had a little daughter. And no doubt he could see the fruit of Jesus' ministry. And he said, you know what? If there's somebody right now, my daughter's at the point of death. She's going to be dying any hour now. And there's only one person that I can think of to go to right now. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he puts everything on the line. And he says, would you come with me so that she may live He's seeking a healing out of Jesus, and Jesus goes with him. 
So we pick up a great crowd following him and thronged about him. So now this crowd that met him on the sea is no doubt even more. The the ante just was upped. We were like, all right, let's see what Jesus is going to do. And this guy comes and falls at his feet and says, heal my daughter. And now everybody is, 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 they're all in at this point. So the whole crowd is following Jesus as he walks from the sea to Jairus' house. And in doing that, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports of Jesus. So this is a woman who had heard, not from the religious, but from somebody who would have been outcasted like her. See, in this day and time, so, so we can set the record straight in case that nobody uh, is picking up what's going on right here. It's likely that she had um, what's called now as menorrhagia, which is a condition characterized with prolonged menstrual bleeding. So if you didn't get the hint, this woman has a menstrual issue that's been going on for 12 years. So she's beat down physically. I mean, think of all the blood that she's lost. Think of where her hemoglobin levels are. Think of how physically exhausting it must be. She's worn down mentally. She's worn down emotionally. She's tried everything that she can do to be healed from this thing, and she can't. She's lonely. She's unable to receive affection, and and, and she would have the stigma of being cursed by God. See, in this time, um, if you read uh, in, in Leviticus, Leviticus 15, The title is uh, Laws About Bodily Discharge, so I'll let all of you deal with that in your quiet time. I'm just going to pick a little portion out of it so we don't need to get into all that, but it it deals with both men and women and what to do in that, and uh, it would go over her menstrual um, period, and for seven days, she would be considered unclean and and would have to separate, but then on the eighth, she was allowed to to, to rejoin everything, And, and we pick up in verse 25 in Leviticus 15 that says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, and in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity." And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So I share that to paint a picture here of this woman was totally socially outcasted. We we don't know much about her. Did she have a husband? If she did, she she was not allowed to be near him. Her parents, the only community that she would really be around at this point is others who were considered unclean, the lepers, the lame, uh, the outcast, she wouldn't be able to, uh, to, to partake in any of the religious ceremonies. Uh, she would have been totally lonely in this place. And so when she heard the reports about Jesus, I'd like to believe that somebody came back to this community who Jesus had touched and had healed and had miraculously changed and said, you have to go, you have to go see this dude. You have to go see him. He, look at me. Look, I'm clean now. I'm, I'm, I'm better. He told me to go and be clean. And so now she's going and she's walking and she's making this trek and she's trying to find Jesus and she says, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him. And now there's this crowd and he's going from point A to point B and she sees her opportunity. You know how much humility that would have taken at this time to do that? She's so beaten down, she's tried everything. She's tried everything, right? I was curious on some of this and it says uh, she... What does it say? She, she tried everything that she could and was no better but worse, and she had spent all her money. 
I looked into what some of the uh, what some of the things of the time would have been, right? So here's some healing methods, both uh, medical of the time and in the Talmud, the religious texts. All right, you would buy gum from Alexandria, Egypt, the weight of a silver coin, and mix it with crocus and alum of the same weight, crush it together, mix it with wine, and drink it. And then you would have to figure out, okay, that didn't work. You take three pints of Persian onions, boil it in wine, drink that, and someone would yell at you, arise from thy flux. That, that doesn't work, right? You go to a place where two roads meet an intersection, and you stand there with a cup of wine in your right hand, and someone jumps out from behind you and scares you, arise from thy flux. Which, we've taken that a little too far in my house. I got my two kids, uh, they hop out and they say, arise from Netflix. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Literally, I'm like, oh man, I think I took this one a little too far. Take a handful of cumin, crocus, and fenugreek, boil it in wine, drink it, and someone would yell, arise from thy flux. You would take, uh, another method is take strips of your clothing, tie it to a tree. When the wind blows, it was said that the disease would leave you and that the health of the tree would enter you. I mean, she's spending money on this stuff, right? Another one, take ashes of an ostrich egg. So find an ostrich egg. I don't even know how you would do that. Burn it, take the ashes, and you would have to wear it. In summertime, in linen, and in wintertime, in a cotton rag. So when it says that this woman is beat down, I mean, she tried every single thing she could, and she was at her last resort, and it would have been highly controversial for her to go in the midst of a crowd uh, with, with, with Jewish people in there, uh, in, her, in her condition, and be near anybody, and she risked it all on the line. Faith is going to require humility. But I look at that and I say, have I ever exhausted my options? Have we ever exhausted our options before we just go to Jesus in humility, right? Sometimes we medicate our feelings away with, with, with substances that last for a moment, but we have to go back over and over and over again, or the fleeting pleasures of sin to distract our minds from, from what we really need to change, or just the pride to do it ourselves because we feel like we can even when, we're, even when we fail, right? Or work and success and money, maybe that will make me happy. Maybe that will fill the void that's lacking in my life. Relationships to validate our need for approval or uh, validation through social media, um, looking for a savior in anything and anybody else, whether it's a friend or a partner or a politician or you name it, the list can go on and on and on, but we often will exhaust every option of our own prior to just humbly coming to Jesus and only Jesus has the answer that we are looking for. So the reflection is, is there anything in my life today that I need to lay down and humble myself before Jesus and, and reach out and kneel down and say, God, I need you. I need you. Continuing in verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples, gotta love him, said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease the second point is faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. And, and, and the point is, do we posture ourselves in a way to receive from God by faith? 
I think it's interesting. Both of these scenarios, they had no backup plan, right? Jairus, uh, Jairus's daughter was on her very last moments, and this woman had tried everything. But they had no backup plan here. They were laying it all on the line. Jairus was either going to be uh, probably socially outcasted or, or, or fired or whatever it may be, and this woman would have been the same thing. She would have been, uh, uh, she could be ridiculed in this moment, but they didn't have a backup plan. And I think it's interesting because sometimes I don't even think we can have a context of not having a backup plan because we have a backup plan for our backup plan for almost everything, right? It's, it's hard to even wrap our minds around that, but in these cases, they didn't have a backup plan. What I also find interesting is Jesus' response here, right? His response to this Again, given what we had just said about this woman and about Jewish culture and about everything that would have been said, I mean, she would have been outcasted her whole life by Jews in particular. Now you have this rabbi, highly controversial rabbi, and you're going to go up and you're going to touch him in the crowd. And she thought she got away with it, right? She thought it was like a grab and go healing. And Jesus stops and goes, who touched me? Now, we know he know who touched her, right? Uh, or, or who touched him. In some of the ones, it says, and he, when he looked around to see who had done it, it says he looked around to see her who had done this thing. The disciples are clueless. They're like, what do you mean? There's people bumping all over you. Everybody's touching you. And he, I love how he doesn't, even, he doesn't even respond to them, right? And yet you say, who touched me? And it just says he looked around to see who had done it. Like, he knew. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't want to give a physical healing without changing her identity. Somebody who had suffered so much for so long. He needed to. The very first word out of his mouth is daughter, something she likely wouldn't have heard in a very long time. I bet you it says she's, she's, she was uh, bowing down in fear and trembling. I bet you her thought was, are you kidding me? Unclean, touching me in this crowd? Who do you think you are? And he goes, Daughter. The same exact word that Jairus says when he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. He says, daughter, your faith. It is your faith that has made you well. You trusted. You heard about me and you trusted in me. Go in peace and be healed. It's funny, she knew she was healed, right? Not only did it say that the blood dried up, but she felt in her body, I mean, instantaneous her body, her energy came back and she felt like her normal self for the first time in 12 years. Yes, that was physical, but the identity portion was so much greater that Jesus was not gonna let her get away without having this conversation with her. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, Right? God is looking for us to put our faith in him without backup plans to trust him, to seek him, and to believe that his reward is greater than something we're gonna get by somewhere else we go. I think it's interesting in this, Jesus was both, he was willing to wait to be the last resort, right? In this case, they were, he was last resort, he was, he was, they didn't have a backup plan because he was last resort and he was okay being that. But I guess what I look at in my life is, is that am I willing to humble myself every day by choice without getting the last resort and say, God, I've seen enough of who you are to know that I can trust you and to know that I want to trust you in every single thing that I'm doing. So I'm not going to let you be my last resort. You're going to be my first, my go-to, and my only every single time. I was having a conversation with one guy, and I said, um, 
we were talking about something. I said, I feel like most of my life is built on, I hope this matters one day. You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? Like you're doing something and you're like, I know the right thing to do, but I just don't know if I see the fruit from it. I'm just not really sure that it's happening right now. So do I give that up or do I say, I hope one day this matters? Now I have faith to believe that one day it does matter, but the choices I make by faith don't always make sense, but they're pleasing to him. They're pleasing to him. Faith pleases God. Picking up in verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. The next point is faith fuels obedience. What we believe about Jesus is going to determine how we live our lives. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? And then do we know who he says he is? Because that's important. See, what's happening here, while he's still speaking, so Jesus is ministering to this woman. Jesus is pouring identity into this woman, something that she hasn't got in a very long time. And then comes some from the ruler's house, which means you know Jairus had thought about this a lot, and he, said, he talked to the people, and he said, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. I have no other, I have no other option right here. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna find Jesus, and I'm gonna bring him back. And they come to him, and they say, it's too late. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And then Jesus says, he overhears it, do not fear, only believe. The, the, the actual verbiage in this is, is stop fearing and keep believing, a continual action. It's not just a one-time thing. You need to stop fearing and you need to continue to believe. And so now Jairus is confused because he said, wait a second, these people just came up and they told me my daughter is dead. And now Jesus, who just stopped and did this awesome thing, but I think he tarried too long to where now my daughter is dead, but he just told me to keep, to keep believing. What does he do? So they continue to walk. They don't just stop. Jesus continues to walk with him. And now they see a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. This is a tumult. This is... Uh, in this time, um, especially if you were wealthy and had some, some stature uh, or some social status, you would hire professional mourners and they would go to your house and they would weep and they would, uh, they would wail really loudly. They were professional. This is what they did and this was common. So Jairus, he, I, I, I try to put myself in his mind to think what he's thinking right now. You just got news that your daughter died. So you're, you, 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 you're all the way down, then Jesus says, keep believing, and then you're probably somewhere in the middle, and now you're walking up and you're seeing something that would have been very common to hear and to see of somebody who's passed, but Jesus just said, keep believing. And so what we believe about Jesus is going to determine the way that we live our lives when circumstances don't align with what he's telling us. Right? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this isn't invent your own Jesus. This isn't think who he is and that's who he is. He is who he says he is, but do we believe he is who he says he is? And do we spend enough time to know who he says he is? 
Because I think when I'm reading this, there's a lot, I, I, I would believe that there's a lot of promises that die on the other side of why trouble the teacher any longer, right? You heard what the doctor said. Why trouble the teacher any longer? There's never going to be reconciliation in that relationship. Why trouble the teacher any longer? You're just not good enough for this. You're going to have to do this on your own. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Didn't you hear how they responded when you told them about Jesus? They're not interested. Why trouble the teacher any longer? They're always going to be an addict. You're never going to beat that sin that you're struggling with. You'll, you'll never walk in freedom. It's always going to be this way. Why trouble the teacher any longer? And I feel like we have a tendency to just stop and say, you know what, you're right. And sometimes it's the enemy telling us this. Sometimes it's ourselves telling us this. Sometimes it's other people telling us this, but saying, why trouble the teacher any longer? Do you not see what your circumstances are telling you? What can he do? And I'm finding the longer that I walk this walk and the more demanding that life gets on me and, and kids and throw everything else in there, that the less the spiritual highs get. Right, I remember when I was younger, and we could, I could do whatever I want when I wanted, and we would, we, you could go to any event you wanted and, and, and seek these emotional, um, you know, these highs that would, and you kind of ride the wave of the highs, and they get less and less and less the older you get, and the more demanding that life gets, and you need to, you, it comes down to faith to fuel the obedience of our lives, right? What we believe about Jesus is gonna determine the way that we live our lives and respond in circumstances and situations as we rely on the Holy Spirit when, when, when all around us is not aligning with our faith, when it seems like evil is winning around us, when it seems like you keep trying your hardest but you're facing resistance, faith fuels obedience and what we believe about Jesus is gonna determine how we live our lives he is all-powerful and all-knowing. He is holy, righteous, and perfect in every way. He's the God of reconciliation. He leaves the 99 for the one. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's the I am, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the light of the world. He's the true vine, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection and the life, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the better Adam, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the only one that was able to look death in the face and take a breath. So why bother the teacher any longer? Because he's so much more than a teacher. He's so much more than a teacher. And faith in who he is and understanding who he is and knowing who he is will fuel our obedience when everything around us is telling a different story. So stop fearing and keep believing. Verse 39, and when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, would have loved to seen how, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The last point is faith shifts perspective. Faith shifts perspective. I, I, I think that this draws an awesome parallel to um, our Christian faith and, and what we believe Jesus did for us, right? Because 
Jesus only performed three physical resurrections in the Bible. Uh, this girl, which was hours after her death, a widow's son found in Luke 7. He was actually on his way uh, from to, on, uh, to being buried. And then uh, Lazarus in John 11. Um, he had been in the tomb for four days. So I don't think that Jesus went around and just, uh, he wasn't tumult hopping and, and waiting to find people to, to, to raise physically. I think that this is an awesome... I, I, he did this to, to show Jairus something and to show us something, right? And I think that this parallels to our Christian faith and what he has done and what he has unlocked for us. I think this is interesting in here. Talitha Kumi, uh, little girl arise, is such a term of endearment. Um, it would be like me needing to go somewhere and I have a six-year-old daughter and her being taken a nap and, and, and me bending down and saying, sweetheart, it's time to get up. That's what Talitha Kumi means, sweetheart. It's time to get up. Everybody else around sees, sees somebody that had died and is mourning. And he, it, it, was easy, it was as easy as Jesus to wake this girl up from the dead as it was to wake somebody up from a nap for Jesus. Sweetheart, get up. And he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can do that. And so when we parallel it with our Christian faith and it'll change or it'll shift our perspective because we realize how temporary all this is and we realize that when we put our faith in Jesus, he's unlocked eternity to be with him forever so that when we die, he says, sweetheart, buddy, get up, get up. Colossians 3 says, set your minds on things that are above and not things that are on earth. And I think that's how we shift our perspective by faith. Um, I brought a little illustration. I saw this, um, I saw this many years ago, and it, 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 it sticks with me. I love it. All right, so here's a rope. Uh, you got you to gotta work with me and pretend that this rope goes on forever. All right, it doesn't. You can see where the end is. But, but I, I, I should have bought the 50, but I was, uh, I was a little cheap. Yeah, ropes are expensive. <laughs> so anyway, this, this rope goes on forever, all right? And this rope is a timeline. It's our existence, all right? And right here, hopefully you can see it. I wasn't sure if it would work or not. This blue section is our time on earth. And the rest of this, all the way forever, is eternity. And here's how much time we have. But yet this affects so much of what comes after, right? And our faith in what God has done for us can change how we view this point right here because stuff feels so real to us, right? It feels so real and it consumes us and we get so wrapped up in how am I ever gonna make it through this and what am I gonna do next and what are they gonna think and all these different things about us and we're, you know, I, I, I ran out of money there but I'm gonna do this here and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna save, save, save and then I'm gonna enjoy this portion right here and, and we're focused on this and there's all of this afterwards that God has for us that he's promised us, that he's given us, he, he's given us great promises, he's unlocked this by his blood and yet we focus so much right here and we say you know what I, I need I need this to be perfect and and I need everything to go well and I need to be as comfortable as I possibly can and what happens is is we laser focus just on a little section right here when God is pointing us to all of this after us yeah. and our faith in what he's done can shift our perspective to not be so narrow-minded or not be so focused on here, but say, I'm gonna, set my, I'm gonna set my gaze on things above and I'm gonna trust that whatever happens here, you're gonna work it out for your good and that at the end of the day, even if it does take me out, I'm gonna hear, sweetheart, buddy, it's time to get up. Look at this, look at this. 
Our faith shifts our perspective. The Bible puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the, mort- and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. As we wrap this up, the, the, uh, the worship team can come back up. I just want to focus on this. Uh, for a couple minutes, right? Our faith shifts our perspective to look past what we see in front of us. And I do want to say right now that this, the prerequisite of this is not death. The prerequisite of this is the blood of Jesus Christ covering our sin. And that faith gives us the confidence that we have to stare situations in the eye and understand It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Stop fearing. Keep believing. That is what shifts perspective in my circumstances. So when I said, I hope that this matters one day, rest assured that it does. There's no sacrifice you can make for him that won't be worth it. There's no situation we shouldn't reach out in faith to touch the one who's able. There's never a time that we choose faith over feelings that won't be met with a well done. There's no present suffering worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. And there's no other person worthy of our life, praise, and adoration. Faith isn't always rewarded the way that we think it should be. But trust me, there is a reward So my encouragement is keep going, keep pressing on, push through the crowd and keep believing. Let's humble ourselves before God, trusting in him, having the faith that pleases him, being steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. He is both willing and able to respond to those who kneel before him in faith. He is the one worthy. He is the one that receives the glory. We are the ones that press through the crowd and leave changed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for what we can rest in, that we can rest assured, God, that despite anything that's going on in our lives, you're, you're so worthy to be praised. You're so good. God, thank you that you unlocked eternity by your death on the cross. Jesus, you lived the perfect life of an example of what it looks like to be, to have your obedience fueled by faith, to stare circumstances in the face and to to still remain steadfast, 
God, your love is so good. God, we place our faith in you willingly, knowing that you are the only one worthy of it. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Change us, Jesus. We thank you and we love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.